Someday, we will have an intro. Not likely. (laughs) (laughs) We have ambitions for an intro, but... We just need to get the... I'm like putting requests in for Mariah Carey or John Bon Jovi, but no one's getting back to me. If we could get Emily Carey, she's better than both. I agree with that. Emily, that's our shout out and our... It's hard not to say Emily Zenthifer. Uh, yeah. And Josh, that's no slam on you. You're awesome. We love you. But it's just one of those things when someone you know gets married, it's a bit of an adjustment. It is. It's a game changer. Same with Steph. Yeah. Old Steph Giltner. Steph Giltner. Now Deveni. Uh Okay. So as a reminder for people out there, we record these typically about a week in advance. And I have to ask you, we're rapidly approaching tomorrow is christmas eve service i know i'm a little freaked out i was gonna say i was my question do priests get nervous it's a little you know it's funny like you're a tom brady fan god knows why yeah he's he's gorgeous yeah don't i mean no comment but anyway (laughs) um he's an amazing athlete i mean i don't like tom brady he's an incredible athlete i hate saying he's probably the best quarterback in nfl history yeah yeah, he is (laughs) I still would fight for John Elway, but oh yeah. gosh, not even in the running. Oh, totally in the no running. No way, <laughs> top twenty-five. But, but he, one thing about Tom Brady is he like under pressure was incredible. Yeah, he and I'm just not. It's not good. I know You're it's your, not a quality I like about myself. You are your harshest critic, though. I know, but I psych myself out, and so totally. like Christmas every year, I think. I need to give a home run homily where all atheists fall on their knees and know they're loved and that there is a God. And, and then I psych myself out. And then the, like the early masses tomorrow, there's usually about 10 billion kids running around now. Coronavirus, it'll be less obviously. Yeah. But it's hard to preach usually at the four thirty mass Christmas Eve because it's just chaos. It's chaos. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I'm a little nervous. I'm not going to lie. Well, I've seen you, just preparing like crazy so i had to ask and, and and wait take a step back uh the number one argument i have for tom brady <laughs> it wasn't about tom brady is any man that can endorse ugg boots oh wow uggs yeah uggs he wow. was like the main spokesperson i didn't know that yeah a couple years ago a few years ago now and he was just like in all the magazines just him wearing ugg boots back right. when they were like fully a chick thing and he pulled it off. Did he? And right there, it solidified. He was probably the top quarterback of all time. I don't know that I see how those things are related, <laughs> but, but I'm not. Yeah, I'm not the football guy here. I'm sure. That, my, I'm sure my dad gets it. My that dad was is, where my man crush started. I will admit that much. Oh yeah, no, totally. I um, I just did something. I think to my headphone, but I'm okay. Anyway, yeah, Tom Brady. He's he is he's a good athlete. There apparently, no, he's good with Uggs. I think he is. It is it is like kind of relieving though to know that and not to put that on you, but to know that priests do get nervous. They do. You do. Yeah, we absolutely do, and and that's okay. We're yeah, human, that's awesome. We're humans too. That's what I think so good about the podcast in and of itself though is I get to see a lot of things that um, just day in and day out being around you that it is so refreshing to learn how human priests are. Yeah. You know the, and this is a good kind of transition for our topic. But the um, one of the words for uh, the Pope 
is Pontifex Maximus, which is really what it's a, it's a, it's a in Rome it was a term for uh, for the high priest, but what it really means it literally comes from the word for bridge builder, and the idea is that a priest builds a bridge between God and man. Whoa. Which I love, and Jesus is the ultimate priest, right? Because when in Christmas being this week, Jesus built a bridge between God and humanity when he became a human being, and he united those things. And so he's the true high priest. And actually, this is crazy. I didn't even plan on talking about this. St. Thomas Aquinas says that that's the moment Christ was ordained a priest, was when he, when he became enfleshed, when he was conceived. Because that's what a priest does. A priest unites and reconciles God and man. And the only true priest is Christ. Every other priesthood is, if it's a real priesthood, is derived from him. So the moment Jesus became a priest was not when he offered himself on the cross. It wasn't at the Last Supper. It was the moment he was conceived because he united humanity and divinity in himself. Is that cool? Oh, dude, ultimate. That's actually... I think it's really cool for us because we definitely did not plan that. <laughs> but it, There's my homily, it actually, right? That's right. <laughs> it actually leads us right into it. Uh, yeah, and I think I, I've always heard that too, where like the priest, you can trace, is it, I don't know if it's necessarily genealogy, but all the way back. Yeah, so the, the bishops can. Okay. So there's... So, and it's apostolic succession is super that's important for Catholics, is okay. what it's called. And what it means is that the... the you know, we, we talk about how the church is founded on the apostles. Yep. Um, Ephesians 2 is a great reference for that. And in the book of Revelation, the heavenly Jerusalem has on the, on the stones are inscribed the names of the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles of the Lamb. But Paul says that the church is founded on the foundation stones of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. It's Ephesians chapter 2. And all of us are kind of built into that, but it's built on the apostles. Christ founded that. And so anyway, the idea in the Catholic church, and this is really important. If you're out there, like not anyone can just kind of get up and be, you know, if you tomorrow were like, you know what? I just love God. I'm just going to go offer sacrifice. You can't do that. Like the early church understood and the Catholic church has always understood that the priesthood is something that is an office and you can't just make it up yourself. It was handed on to the apostles. They ordained successors, which are the bishops. And the bishops ordained successors. And so that, that's con- continued to our own day. And then priests are ordained as helpers to the bishops. And that's why, like, when we meet, you know, when I meet, like, Protestant pastors, again, like, a lot of admiration for them, a lot of, all, you know, the right caveats. And many of them are better, way better Christians than I am. But we don't think they're priests. We actually, because a priesthood isn't because you're good or because you know the Bible. It's because the priesthood can only come from Jesus Christ. And he gave the priesthood at the Last Supper to the apostles who ordained successors. That that happens in the New Testament. Timothy and Titus, St. Paul talks about handing on this office of the bishop. And anyway, that's, so that's, I don't know, how I, how do we get on that? Well, that apostolic succession. Yeah. And priest, oh, I had asked if priests can trace it all back and it was more the bishops but um it is kind of fascinating because some of those pastors especially like we've talked about it in the protestant world whether or not they know that much scripture or any of that kind of stuff i mean a lot of them are just the most successful ones in my opinion are phenomenal on stage yeah 
their stage presence is through the roof. And that matters. I, I, you know, I want to affirm that like that matters. I wish more priests and something I'm trying to work on, but priests are supposed to be, they're supposed to be bridge builders, you know, because hopefully what should happen for priests is if I'm doing, and if I'm more importantly, if I'm being the person I'm meant to be, primarily I have to be in touch with God. Right. And I have to, I have to have a real prayer life. I have to be a man of God who loves God, who's let his word permeate my life but I also need to be relatable. And what, what should happen is people should say, you know, I feel like I don't, I don't feel like God speaks in my life. I feel distant from God, but I understand father Brian, like FB, like I get him, like he speaks to me. And if he's close to God, maybe I could be close to God. And in, in that way, uh, humans who are priests can become bridge builders to, to unite other humans to God. What well, I think it's actually a perfect segue here because last time we had talked about, we said we would, we promised we would talk about what is worship and why yeah. mass and using your analogy of a bridge and being a bridge builder. Yeah. I feel like no matter how good a priest may be and, or um, a pastor of a Protestant church, if you just take the two churches in general, one that's like the Walmart size fog machines, great music get your coffee when you show up and go sit down and yeah, enjoy and, the and show great, great preaching and great preaching yeah. everything about it there's hugs when you walk in there's a, a gift basket when you leave mm-hmm. if it's your first time so it's super welcoming i feel like and then you show up as a first timer to a catholic mass and you and i have talked this i mean this is where i came and first met with you yeah the bridge for the protestant world just based on the actual hour right. that you're about to spend is a lot easier to cross than the Catholic mass. Right. Because generally, and I, we talked about it last time too, but when you kind of just broad stroke paintbrush on the Catholic mass, it's very, um, you know, generally it's an older demographic, right. super cold. Every, and as your first time in there, like people are standing up, down, kneeling, some are kneeling on it's the foreign. kneeler. Yeah. It's a little foreign. And you're trying experience. to, a lot of it, some of it's not even in English. And you're, so everyone's like reciting the same prayers at, least at the same some places, time. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so it's, it's a tough thing, but I think that is the bigger question there is why do Catholics have quote unquote mass right. compared to the production of a Protestant like yeah. service? And this is such an important question, right? It's like, and, w- and one of the critiques out there, even, and again, with our brothers and sisters in the, in the Protestant churches, so much good they're doing, so much we have to learn from them. But there's a legitimate critique here. And and I think even pastors, I, I bet you they feel this, even in themselves, and even with their, their heart for God and these things, is that the, so the critique of, of Catholicism is that we just, we're terrible at making people welcome. We are terrible at that. And we, do, we don't do that well. But the critique of Protestantism is it's just too human. You know, the, the, what they do at their services make, make a heck of a lot of sense in 2020 America. You know, but there's, but there's nothing transcendent and universal about it. it like any other century on earth, you're totally disconnected. Um, aside from just thinking, you know, God loves me and I love God, something like that. And I don't mean to caricature it, but, but anyway, but this is an important question. And, and I was talking to Patrick about this and, if you're out there, I think one of the things that we can help us understand how 
how and why we worship God and what it means to worship God. A great idea to think about is giving gifts and it's Christmas. So perfect timing, perfect timing. What are you getting stuffed? Is she going to hear this? She's not going to hear this. What are you getting here for Christmas? She won't. Uh, she got a new uh, wallet this year. A new a wallet? A little fancy wallet. Is it a, f- a fancy wallet? It's okay. a fancy wallet. That's just not something I would want. It's, well, it wasn't fun going to the store and buying it. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. not. But again, it was about her. If it was me, I would have loved to get her a new TV for the living room. Yeah. And um, a new ESPN Plus subscription. But You've got that ESPN ringer on your phone. I do. Do, 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 do. That's, that's right. That's, that's pretty good. It was. That was actually yeah. really good. Yeah. Yeah, no, and it, it, so giving a gift to someone, it's very easy to give someone a gift that you like. Right. And so I, I told Patrick one year in my last church, I gave the staff all, I gave them all CDs of Gregorian chant, Ugh. which you would love. <laughs> <laughs> you are so selfish. Hey, I know. Hey, you would listen to it all the time. Even You probably don't even have a CD player. Honestly, I no, it, it would. I would make it more of a functional gift, probably as like a like a coffee mug coaster like a coaster yeah yeah that would have been perfect <laughs> yeah that's yeah, totally very functional <laughs> but we've all done that where we give gifts to people that it's just kind of what we want and you know there's a good intention usually there yeah but a really good gift giver it sounds like you you think about what the other person wants and and so the first point i think about worshiping god is that what people hear all the time is, I did, I, I like this service. I didn't like this service. I connected with that worship leader. I connected with that pastor. And the the point that I want to get at is that when you when we enter into worship, what the Bible teaches, and this goes all the way back to the book of Exodus at least, but it's a central point of Exodus. Uh, and it's absolutely central to the New Testament is that worship is about what God has to teach us how to worship. We don't get to just be like, hey, you know what? And if I, if I got to choose, I always joke about this. If I got to choose how to worship God, you know, now I'm mean, as a priest, I'd probably still keep it the same because I love the mass. But before I was a priest, I'd be like, dude, let's go get some guitars and hopefully some like cute girls that can sing well and a zip line, <laughs> you know, and let's go to the mountains and not to caricature it too much. But let's, hey, I love God. Let's go do something fun and let's let's have a great time. Let's feel great. And the thing is, is that what the Bible teaches us is that we don't know how to worship God. When Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh in the book of Exodus, and everybody thinks the point of the Exodus is just to free them from physical slavery. And that's secondarily true, but they don't ask for that. When they go to Pharaoh, they don't say, hey, let my people leave permanently. They don't ask that. They say, let us go learn how to worship God. And Pharaoh, at one point, they ask Pharaoh, and he says, okay, because Pharaoh, they're in this negotiating process. We don't need to go too deep into it. But Pharaoh says, okay, well, you can go, this is after one of the plagues, but you can't take animals. And Moses says, no, we have to take all of our animals because we don't know what kind of sacrifices we are to make. They have to learn how to worship God. And when they get to, they arrive at Mount Sinai in Exodus 19, and they get the Ten Commandments, and then they get liturgy. And the church, the Catholic Church's point is that the liturgy doesn't belong to me. And and this is, I mean, this is a good time to hit it right here, is that the reason, like, yeah, you, you go to Mass, and you can feel disconnected. 
and okay, sit, stand, kneel. The words are always the same. There's no fog machine. We don't have electric guitar. <laughs> you know, there's probably some parishes out there that do. Have you seen it? I I did. Well, I saw it on a uh, <clears throat> men's retreat. Oh yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> um, but uh, the point though is that the 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 worship of God, and the, this is the real Catholic point, and maybe sometime we'll do a longer podcast on this, but what the early Christians believed that what it really means to worship God, the true worship of God is what happened on the cross. The true worship of the father was when Jesus Christ gave his life in obedience and love to the father, perfect love, perfect obedience. He gave himself over to God, the father and died on the cross and he, at the Last Supper, this is uh, too deep, but at the Last Supper, Jesus connects the Eucharist with his death on the cross. That's probably for another time. But that's my, my point is like, I'm glad you, f- you liked the sermon and you felt good. And maybe, and, and I don't want to, again, I don't want to downplay that. That's important. But the true worship of God is not a time that you felt pierced to the heart and you felt great. The true worship of God is, it was the offering of Jesus Christ once for all on the cross. That's the worship of God. And what Catholics believe, and most Catholics don't know this, this is part of the problem, but what Catholics believe and always have, and when you study the earliest Christians, they all believe this, is that when we go to Mass, the one sacrifice of Christ is offered mystically and it's made mystically present to all of us. So in other words, Jesus is not crucified again. That only happened once and it will only happen once, period. But we believe when we go to Mass that mystically and supernaturally that we are made present or the cross is made present to us. And there's a mystical thing that happens that we're actually at the moment where Jesus surrenders his life to the Father. And last line, then I'll turn over to you, but last line I would say with this is uh, in the Catholics, if you go to Mass, you know this, there's a line that says, through him, with him, and in him. O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. And what we believe as Catholics is that Jesus' one sacrifice on the cross, through the sacraments, what it does is all of us are drawn into that one sacrifice, and all of us are drawn into that into the one act of worship to God the Father, through him, with him, in him. And that's why worship isn't about us. And we don't get to change it. I don't get to just say, you know what? I think this week we're going to meet at a coffee shop as much as I would like to. But worship is not something we determine. It's something that God does. Okay, two, two things. One quick, taking a step back here. Can you briefly describe, just in case, um, like it was new to me when I came in, when you when you reference liturgy, what does that mean? Oh, thank you. Good question. So liturgy is a word, it's one of the words for worship in the New Testament. There's a couple different words. Uh, Letergos or liturgia, liturgia is the right one. Liturgia is one of the words for worship in the New Testament. Okay. Um, so it's, it's one word that just means worship, but it if you really break it down, it, it means the work of the people, but that's a longer story. The other word in the New Testament that's predominant for worship is proskuneo in the Greek. Both of those are Greek words. Proskuneo means to bend the knee. And and so these are words for worship. And liturgia tends to emphasize a, 
the public act of worship. It's not just that I love God in my heart, which matters, by the way. That that massively matters. And if you go to the public aspect, if you're just doing the thing, you go to church on Sunday, but your heart's not changed, something's missing there. But if you just feel good in your heart about God, I hate to break it to you, you're a creature. Like, we need something more. If we're going to touch God, he's so far beyond us, we actually need him to give us the means to do that. And so liturgia is more about the the divinely instituted public thing where we all come together and it's complemented by in my own life. Like, yeah, I, I love singing to God. I love singing with praise and worship music. I love reading scripture. I love telling him that I love him. And those things have a, a definitive place, but the central thing is not what we do. It's what Christ does. Is that where we genuflect when we come in, when you reference bend the, bend the knee? Yeah, so I think that's just a natural human gesture. But that's, but that, so proskuneo is the Greek word that means to bend your knee, but it means worship. Okay. And if you think about it, right, like that's, it's a, it's a gesture that, that signifies being submissive. I submit to something greater than myself. So I think that's interesting. We kind of, I think we joke, we, thus far we've kind of joked about it, but for my own, like, not to, um, categorize any sort of church in a certain way but for my own story and I know we've kind of touched on it before but I mean when you say the have a heart for God and that's what you get kind of in the service with all of the things that are encompassed and very right. much of the Protestant world that totally filled and started to build my relationship with Jesus right yeah. which was and that's phenomenal awesome. it was like my heart was on fire but what, what I personally started to experience again I was going where I was going and I was in like, I just loved one of the pastors there. Like when he, when it was his turn to speak, it was yeah. like, there was Tony Robbins on stage and you're just like, you right. leave and you're ready to just like, you're on fire for, for God and you're ready to just go on mission. But then what would happen and you'd feel so ramped up for it. But then all of a sudden, if it was a different pastor right. or a guest or something that wasn't the same excitement, I then would have to go home and be like, oh, what? Like, it was like motivation where you like have to go find another video to watch to like fill your heart with it. And then ultimately he stepped away and left that church. Which I'm sure it was like devastating. Crushed me. Yeah. Crushed me. So then all of a sudden it was like, I was committed to this one church. But then once he left, it was like, oh, wait a second. I'm like, now I'm not feeling the same fire anymore. And started to kind of lose that momentum. And thankfully that's where i met steph and there was like this perfect timing that led me here to lords yeah but i think what is so interesting too which i really needed this point to land for me in my journey was there is something absolutely phenomenal like i'm so excited for your christmas mass but i also know that if if i go to somewhere else in the country outside of the homily but that worship in mass yeah. is going to be the same no matter where I go. Even in a different country, I may not... <laughs> Steph and I went to a Spanish mass one time on accident. I had no idea what was going on. Right. Like, I, could, I, I couldn't understand it. But at least my heart could prepare and still get to that same spot, which I think is so awesome. And you touched on that earlier of, we have 2,000 years of tradition and right. surviving time versus the, co the cookies and the coffee and the fog machines and the zip line. All that it, it is. I mean, that is Hollywood, Hollywood's finest. Right. But it's not, it, that is always going to have to evolve, kind of like marketing, kind of like, 
yeah. any sort of like cinematography, anything entertainment wise has to evolve. Otherwise, boom, it's going to be done for. Right. And that's what I think is so fascinating about the Catholic Church that it hasn't. There's yeah. Like, and it's and it's transcendent, right? Like, correct. There's <clears throat> there's something that's like and it's beautiful. Rich Mullins, who is a um, and he's thought of by a lot of people as the one who started modern Christian music, which probably a lot of people hate him for that. <laughs> But he's the one who had his most famous song is the Our God is an Awesome God. Oh, yeah. I think that's his worst song. I don't like that oh, song. Wow. But he was a really, he's someone who had a pretty amazing life. But anyway, but he, it's, this is debated, but certain people have come out and testified that when he died, he died in a car wreck in like the, I don't know, maybe early 90s, somewhere in that range. But when he died, there's people who have come out and said he was in RCIA. He was becoming Catholic. Oh, wow. But one of the things he talks about in one of his, his interviews is Rich Mullins talks about how when I go to church on Sunday, it's not just like I feel great, but it's like, wow, you know what? Augustine did the same thing in the fourth century. So cool. Yeah. And when you're Catholic, like this is, this is what so many Protestants don't understand about liturgy. And, it, and But it goes back to, I think, the grounding point is what we've already said is that the worship of God, liturgy, liturgia, is not something I do. It's something I'm drawn into by Christ. It's something that he does. And in a great, I was looking at the passage really quick. And so in, in Exodus, there's a couple places, but um, when Moses builds the tabernacle, which is like the portable temple in the wilderness, God tells him, it's not just like, hey, like, well, try this, you know, check this one out. What, what Moses has to do is God shows him a, the, a pattern on the mountain. And so like Exodus 25, this is verse nine, it says, according to all that I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and of its furniture, so you shall make it. And again in uh, 2540, and see that you make them after the pattern for them, which is being shown you on the mountain. And this does not end with the tabernacle. So the the temple and the tabernacle in the Old Testament are based on heaven itself. And then in the New Testament, when you, especially like I want, I want to say the book of Hebrews chapter nine, real liturgy, the real sacrifice is what Jesus Christ did. And the early Christians and the Bible teaches this is that what it means to worship God is what, is what he did on the cross and that you and I are drawn into the one sacrifice. So, in Hebrews 9, uh, whoever wrote Hebrews talks about Jesus as the true high priest, right? The Pontifex Maximus, the high priest, the true bridge builder. And he talks about how Jesus, when he entered the true Holy of Holies, and what he means by that, do you know what the Holy of Holies is? Mm -mm. So in the temple, the temple is like concentric essentially. And the Holy of Holies is the center part of the temple where the Ark of the Covenant was. Whoa. Okay. And it's where God's presence dwells. But what what Jews really believe is the temple is is based on what heaven actually is. It's a it's a participation in heaven. And we believe that as Catholics, that the liturgy of the Mass is not just like, okay, like that was you know what, that was a good sermon and we put together a good plan for the liturgy on Sunday and you know, good music choices. Those things matter, but they're secondary. And but Hebrews nine is getting at it, it says when when Christ came and says as the eternal and high priest of the new, or when he came as high priest of the new and eternal covenant, he entered the true Holy of Holies. 
carrying not the blood of bulls or goats, but his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. And so what the book of Hebrews you know, what the book of Hebrews is getting at here is that the liturgy is heavenly and and it's something that God does. And so what Catholics believe and what I love about going to Mass, and this is what's, what makes it great, is like the average experience of Mass. Again, I wish, I want my brother priests and myself, when you work on our preaching, it needs to be excellent. The music needs to be excellent because that affects people. But if you go to Mass and you understand that what's happening is you are at the crucifixion where Jesus offers himself to the Father and you and I, through him, with him, and in him, basically say, me too. As part of the body of Christ, I was baptized into the body of Christ. I joined myself to the one sacrifice of Christ. It's a game changer. And you go from watching something happening up there and being passive to being active to like, Lord, I pray with, I'm praying right now actively in my heart, soul, and my mind. And I choose to, to offer my life along with Christ. That's and when you do that, it will change the way you go to, to Mass. It will revolutionize it. And it makes you step outside yourself, right? The, the, the service should speak to us and it should make us feel like we are loved and all those things. And that's good. And we should be inspired. And then priests need to do it, but it's secondary to what Christ does. And so if in the Catholic liturgy, which is divinely instituted, it's given to us by Christ and the early Christians, this is how they understand all of this ancient stuff they they understand that it if you have a great preacher that's really good but if you don't it's still the one objective sacrifice do you think in the when you think about it from we were given the 10 commandments and the liturgy yeah that sometimes though the catholic church can focus too much on some of the details of the liturgy like as far as like right. you know you and I have joked about it, but I've been critiqued before about some of my wardrobe at mass or certain things yeah. that like, you know, very much like my mom grew up in that world in the fifties and sixties. Well, not necessarily fifties. She'd kill me. Uh, but the sixties <laughs> or seventies that it was like, you know, the nun with the ruler and the slap on the hand and, yeah. and all that stuff. Or if, you know, if, if you're not in their suit and tie, you could be critiqued a certain way. So I feel like that's where on the opposite side where all of a sudden in, the bridge that we talked about becomes super attractive from the Protestant world where we kind of lose that. And you're yeah. saying this, but can we overcorrect too much and only focus on certain Abs aspects absolutely. of the I, th I think that's so true. And it's, it's funny. I, I feel that critique on that side too. And I feel like I'm sometimes fighting that battle in the church of like, we used to call it majoring in the minors. Totally. And people, and no one would ever say it like outright, but sometimes the people just get obsessed with these weird things and the, the liturgy itself matters, but, but you know, people can get obsessed with like, I don't know. I mean, well, I'll communion tell you, like, patterns the one, and like, I don't know. The one that I think you saved me from when I got confirmed and I started, I don't know if it's the athlete in me or I hate the gray zone. So I love to live in black and white. Yeah. And I started to become very obsessed with, okay, when I come in, you genuflect with your right knee. Then you go in, right, you sit totally. down. Like everything I wanted to do was had to be by the book perfect. Right. And when I came up to you, and I, I'll never forget this, I was like, so 
if like is it with the right or left knee and you slowly walked me off that cliff of and i'll let you kind of explain that if i asked you that right now <laughs> you make but, me do that now too. well no i mean but i i, I really actually appreciated it because i was definitely so i mean i was carrying around all these rules and what you can and cannot do venial versus mortal sin like i started to become yeah. super obsessed with it and then that was where you slowly started just like okay but look everything's be okay like yeah. you know this is this is what we're here to do but you're not it's not the end of the world if you come in and genuflect with your left knee yeah but i do feel like that is my and maybe it's just me but i'm sure somebody listening can resonate with this that if you come in and you genuflect a certain way your knee doesn't touch the ground you kind of feel the eyes glare at you from yeah. somebody with someone around you is like looking at you like ooh, not low enough yeah, Benedict talks a lot about this, Pope Benedict the Sixteenth, about what is what's essential and what's something that's not necessarily bad, but isn't essential. And I think what happens here is we, we if we it's easy usually in majoring in the minors, it's easy to fixate on things that are visible and that are black and white. It's easy to do that, but oftentimes those aren't the things that are the heart of the liturgy. Um, and so, but what happens is if we maybe people are right about it. You know, it's kind of like the example I'll use with people sometimes is it, there's a hierarchy in the church's teaching on these things. So in your, with, with your car, even really cool masculine Jeep, right? There's a lot of things that are true about your car. There's a lot of things. So it's true that you should put oil in your car and gas is true. You need windshield wiper fluid, which I'm just about out of right now. Uh, it's true that you should clean your floor mats and whatever you go on and on and on. But some of those things are more important than others. Totally. And someone who fixates on, you know, having a spotless interior to their car, it's not that they're doing something wrong, but the emphasis is in the wrong place. And I will say, this is just me, this is not the Catholic Church, but I think that's happening right now in a lot of places in Catholicism. And I think it's a danger out there that people aren't wrong. You know, when someone says, hey, Father Brian, we need communion patents. I don't, I don't dislike communion patents. But the reason we don't have them at Lourdes, and if you don't know what that is, it's a little gold plate that a server would hold. So if a piece of the Eucharist falls, it does it, out of reverence, it's caught. And I, that's not a bad thing. That's people trying to love Jesus in the Eucharist. I, I love that. I love that you love Jesus in the Eucharist, but I don't think that's what Christianity is about. The way that we love Jesus in the Eucharist isn't, like, Jesus poured out his blood on the earth. He poured it out. Now, we shouldn't be reckless. We should be careful. But he poured out his life on the earth. He poured out his body. He was reckless with his love. And the way that we love him and then the way that we live the right way and honor him is through faith, hope, and love. It's through, and, and people say, well, you know, you can do both. You can have communion patents and really love. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. But there is a danger that you can overemphasize these things where Christianity, and I think this is what happened, why the 60s, the church went so crazy is because I think previous to that, people were emphasizing these things to such a degree that it became just about that. Does that make sense? 100%. Like, as you're saying that, I'm thinking to myself, of like, we've all been, <laughs> I would assume we've all been in the circumstance where you get in someone's car and it's like you have your standard car to your point. Like that is – there's certain things that are super important. Yeah. And someone may have the fluffy thing around the steering wheel and like all the like bells what and whistles. What color is yours? Is, that, is it pink or blue? 
this this month it's pink. Okay. Yeah, it was, <laughs> the, third, it was the third week of Advent, so yeah. I went pink. Um, no, but and they do all the bells and whistles, so it's nice and fluffy, and you're like, oh, I want to get yeah. in there. But it, it didn't make anything else better. But then on the flip side, where you've gone in the car and someone is super aggressive, about like, are your feet dirty because you're going to get dirt on my my plastic floor mats? Yeah. You, and you're like, dude, I'm never getting your car again. That yeah. was the worst car ride of my entire life. Right. And I think that's what we have to be careful with. To your point about the communion patents or genuine reflecting with certain knee and any of that kind of stuff where it becomes super critical. I, I hate overusing the word unwelcoming, but it's it's very easy to be like, whoa, like if, if you don't take if someone's not taking the time with you through the journey to understand why everything is so reverent you then start to lose the desire to even want to understand because now all of a sudden you're yeah. super standoffish. Yeah, and there's the Protestants harp on this and they're they're not wrong. Like they're not they're not wrong. I mean there's so I think there's the objective and there's the subjective. Mm-hmm. And Catholics have a danger of overemphasizing the objective. Protestants have a danger of overemphasizing the subjective. The, I feel like the Protestant would be like the fluffy steering wheel. <laughs> Right. And the ca- and like, the Catholics guy like the, this amazing engine, but their car is a total piece on the inside. <laughs> <laughs> and like, but with like all the strict, like, but do not put your foot on my dashboard. Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> like, yeah. Totally. No, but I, so I think trying to find that balance because otherwise you can end up in either camp. Yeah. We got to bring those things together, right? Yeah. This is, and this is what Christ did on the cross. And so I, I think of your example of dressing nice at mass, I think people should dress nice for mass. I do. Yeah. I also don't think it's what Christianity is about. And I don't think it's a big deal. I'm like, if I think like, like usually when we dress nicer for things, it communicates that we're at something that matters. Totally. But at the same time, I'm like, there's a danger there. There's a danger of like, Jesus, you're not a good Christian. You are not a good Christian because you dress nice. You're not a good Christian because you showed up to mass on time. You're a good Christian. If you love God with your heart, all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself. That's what it means to be a good Christian. But we, we've got to be careful of these things. They're not, and this is so tricky. This Jesus talks about this all over the New Testament, but it's easy to focus on the external black and white stuff. So Paul, for instance, he's going to talk in Romans 2 and 2 Corinthians 3. I feel like those have come up a couple times already in our podcast, those chapters. But he's going to talk about like circumcision, and this goes all the way back to Deuteronomy, I think, chapter 10. But uh, but it, it certainly is Ezekiel 37 and Jeremiah 31. I'm not just making that up. Dude, don't laugh at me. I it wish, really is. No, I was going to say, I wish, like, our next evolution of this podcast is going to be video with this. So people can see that when you, it is absolutely amazing when you are citing scripture and or you're actually, what well, if I'm listening and I don't know you, I think you're, like, reading I swear you've read one thing out of the Bible right now. Everything else is it's phenomenal to watch. We have to record this so people believe me. But somehow you just know this. And I just, well, it's. I've been blessed Anyways. to be around people who taught me scripture. But, but, but what Paul gets at uh, is that true circumcision is not something literal. It's a, circumcision is a matter of the heart. And so the, the, the external circumcision wasn't bad. It had its time and its place in in the law of the Old Testament, but it was always and in this. By the way, this goes this really goes back all the way to the book of Deuteronomy, and God's going to talk in Deuteronomy about circumcising your heart, and 
in uh, Jeremiah 31, 31 and following, and it's Ezekiel 30, uh, it's 36, 25. Ezekiel 36, 25. God is going to talk about circumcising your heart. And, and so this is where we've got to bring these things together. Right. And so the, and this brings us back, I think, to Sinai. We talked about this, uh, you and I, this morning a little bit. And Mount Sinai, Pope Benedict, if, you don't, if, if you're someone who's not a Catholic, and if you're a little intellectual, you have a little bit of a Christian background, if you're coming from the Protestant world, Pope Benedict XVI, also known as Joseph Ratzinger, he's, he's someone you need to read. He is brilliant and balanced and just gets it, and just a holy man. But Benedict says, at Mount Sinai, God gives the Jews liturgy, because you can't, you know, and this, and this is what we want to say. If you're out there, if you're, you're not a Christian, let's say, and you're like, what's the big deal? God's like me. He's a good guy. And we project that. And you say, oh yeah, you know, what does God care if I go to church? There's a Simpsons I love where Homer stops going to church. And I, <laughs> this is how my mind works. But like Homer stops going to church and, uh, and it's this big thing. And he has this dream one night and God shows up. He's like, Homer, why aren't you going to church anymore? And he's like, oh my gosh, it's so boring. And I forget the reverend's name on there, but he's like, you know, the reverend so-and-so, gosh, his homily or sermons are so long and boring. And God goes, yeah, I know. I've been meaning to talk to him about that. (laughs) (laughs) But, But it's like, I think the person who's not going to church, who isn't a Christian necessarily, it's like, why does God care? God's like me and we project that. Love is my religion. Love is my religion. Yeah. And how do you know? Isaiah 55 says, God says, uh, for my ways are not your ways, says the Lord of hosts. And as high as the heavens are above the earth, so too are my ways above your ways and my thoughts above your thoughts. God's different from us. And what if you're wrong? You know, what's, what's so many, so if you're out in the world, and you're not going to church. The thought is like, oh, I'll just live 10 commandments. Which, by the way, most of us don't really actually live. Correct. I know I don't live. I'm trying, yeah. but we but we really don't even measure up even to that. But so many people think, what do I need to go to church for? If I, as long as I don't kill anybody. A good person. You yeah. can't reach God that way. God, You need God in your life, and that's what Mass is about on Sundays. But then the other piece, right, is like the prophets in the New Testament are going to call us to say, yep, that's right. It's Jesus on the cross. This is what saves us this is what worship is and you must change your life and and so the subjective and the objective have to have to mirror each other the cross of christ has to become active in our lives and and we just you know i think all of us and i know this is true of me no one gets this perfect the only person who gets this right is jesus himself i hope my hope for this podcast is um going back to basically everything you're saying, but when you have such an art of explaining the reverence and why the church teaches the way it does, we've, we've mentioned that before, but in the example of what I'm wearing to mass and why do people care? And on the flip side, someone's like, this is mass. You need to dress appropriately. And when you don't really understand why you said something to me a while ago when, when I came to you and it was like, I actually appreciate like, deeply appreciate it. I felt like you were frustrated when, when I was getting critiqued, which meant a lot, but then you also, again, in your like classic way of doing it, crushed <laughs> me. Cause you were like, when you go to mass, it's imagine you're literally standing in front of Jesus on the cross. Yeah. 
do you want to be wearing Tom Brady's jersey in the front row? Yeah. Or what are you actually going to wear if that's the case? And that, to me, that simple explanation now all of a sudden made it super beautiful. Yeah. And I want to dress in a certain way. I may disagree on whether that's a suit or if I'm going to show it. And I, I literally dress on Sundays thinking to myself, would I be, like, if I really walked into Jesus on the cross right now, yeah. do I want to be wearing this? Yep. And that was a game changer for me. But but again, going back to the Protestant, whatever it is, like on one side you would say, oh, just wear your slippers and pajamas and just get there. Just yeah. have a good time. Celebrate life. And on the other side, it's like, no, it's strict. Like you have to be in a black suit, white, you know, yeah. the whole outfit. But And I feel like it's that way in a lot of when you truly understand where I, I wish and I hope that a lot of, well, one, our podcast can do it, but two, the church can do a much better job of explaining why yep. things have lasted for 2000 years and why it started. Yeah. I love that. And I think that's, there's so many side conversations to that, but yeah, like, and my point is like, you know, I would lean more towards like, we should probably dress nice for church. But again, that's Jesus didn't die on a cross. It wasn't what he wants from you at mass. Isn't how you dress. Right. Do you love him? Correct. Do you love, when you go to mass, is your heart like quiet and are you showing up saying, wow, I'm about to be present at the moment that the son of God gave his life for me. And like, wow. Like I think, I think, I think what God wants, yeah. right? Like it's, it's not like God's like, Oh, you wore those shoes. <laughs> right. I'm like, I don't think that's what it's about. Did you polish them today? Yeah. I don't think that's what it's about. Yeah. It's a, it's about where's your heart. And sometimes those things can help or hinder in one way or another, but we, but it, we got to get the centerpiece right. If we don't get the centerpiece right, everything else becomes either either just a meaningless pile of you know what, and it feels arbitrary. And this is where people leave Christianity because it just it just degenerates into this load of rules, and yep. God's out there looking for you to screw up, and He doesn't really love you. Or it becomes on the other side, just hey man, live your life, love, love is my religion. That's right, and. And we got to hold those things in tension. We got to hold them together. It's so important. Oh, I love it. Can I say one last thing? Yes, please. St. Bonaventure, uh, reading about him, you know, I don't know. I finished reading a book that talked a lot about him about a month ago, maybe, maybe two months ago. And he didn't like a lot of like Catholics. Now, I believe that churches should be beautiful. I really do believe that. But I think it can be taken to an extreme. And I think right now where a lot of Catholics are going is they're going for a very high liturgy. And what I mean by that is like a lot of Latin. People might accuse me of this, actually. Um, I think I have the perfect balance, but that's just me. Um, <laughs> but Bonaventure, one of the things he says is that the most beautiful thing and the most beautiful moment of liturgy that ever happened, right, was a naked, crucified man. Ooh. And we've and so when, and so Balthazar talks about this. Balthazar says, and he if anyone cares about beauty, it's Balthazar. But Balthazar is like we have to understand that our, our the way that we understand beauty as a human thing has to be transformed by what Jesus did on the cross. And he says that like no one would walk by no one walked by the crucifixion in AD thirty three, and said, "Wow, this is so beautiful." No, they were like. There's three naked men dying the most horrific possible death. We know how to make someone die. Yeah, it gives me chills. Right? Yeah. 
but because of, because now Jesus, right? Look at that. This is everything we're talking about today on the cross. Jesus united the objective worship with the subjective and what made it beautiful was that Christ was on the cross in perfect faith, hope, and love. Perfect. And perfect giving of himself. And thereby, the ugliest moment of all of history becomes the most beautiful moment of all of history. And we've got to think about that with liturgy. The answer is not just more gold in the, in the liturgy. It is not just, you know, Gregorian chant as much as I love it. Um, the answer has, it has to be shaped by the crucified Christ. That's that's a mic drop. That gave me chills. Yeah. Okay, the one. Okay, so the last last question I have for you is: if you're someone, any advice on if you're someone that, as you're listening to this, you are kind of like, man, maybe I, I am one way or the other, uh-huh. and you're going to mass, and you can't control a lot of the external things, what somebody else is thinking, or what you're thinking, someone else is thinking, or what the mass may, whatever it is. What can you do when you walk through the doors? and enter into church and try to get yourself to, to be in that balance that you're talking, subjective yeah. and objective. Like, how can you yourself start to kind of focus on that? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I, th- I think even just asking that question is a huge first step. But I will tell you, like, practically speaking, and it's something I love at our church that happens spontaneously. And a lot of it, I just want to shout this out to our musicians. Like, a lot of people would critique music at Lords for being too low, too, like, kind of trendy or something okay. and not and not being, like, Gregorian chant but I do want to give a shout out to our musicians in general our musicians are phenomenal and they make you want to pray totally and I think sometimes people who love high liturgy I love high liturgy as well but there's something about speaking to people where they're at and our musicians I think do that phenomenally well okay but my point is this you want to you want to grow in this and understanding how to bring the subjective and the objective together Turn off your radio when you drive to church and think about you're about to show up at Mount Calvary. And then after mass, and this is what happens at our church, no one leaves. Yeah. When, when I walk out, I, I mean, this like warms my like father's heart. When I persist back to the sacristy, when I go back to the sacristy after mass, the church is still packed with people on their knees. And that, when I talk about a practical thing, when I was going through my conversion <clears throat> deeper in my faith, just staying after mass for five minutes. I know you're a big deal. I know you've got your next cool thing to be at. I know your kids, you know, are strangling you, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> right. The, the king of the universe just gave you his very life. And if you get on your knees for five minutes after mass, f- place yourself there and remember what's actually just happened and just say thank you. There's almost nothing I can think of that will immediately make you a better Christian than doing that. Dude. Well, there's that. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> no, that's, that's yeah. I think I'll, I will never forget that ever when you said that to me. And it completely changed. I mean, I was so worried about getting the prayers right. and am I, What am I doing? What am I supposed to be doing right now? And when I just put myself at cavalry yeah oh that was the biggest game changer that has ever yeah. happened to me yeah, me, me too i it's mean like it did it for me of like 
this is what we're here for. What about you? Like you always ask me, you're, so you're someone who's been practicing the Catholic faith really just for two years now? Two years. Two years. Like you're in that, I'm not in that place. Like what, what have you found? Like what are things that have helped you? Honestly, I, that to me was an ultimate game changer because I was so wrapped up in the trying to find the black and the white and trying to do things properly and, and this and that. And it was could have very quickly pushed me to one side after living the other for so long. Yeah. Not even so long. I mean, another two years before that. But, right. um, and it really was that to me started to really put things into perspective of like, does what I'm thinking about really matter matter if I'm standing at the foot of Jesus right now experiencing the crucifixion? Yeah. And that was gigantic. And then there was a lot of other learning things, but I think prayer time and adoration and, and then maybe that could be a topic for another time. But right. the concept of like holy hours and those things of like, dude. I get past two minutes of prayer and I'm like praying about my third grade teacher that I haven't thought about <laughs> like 15 years. Like, so there's a certain like keywords that you try to live up to. And, and that was a big learning lesson we talked about. So we really should talk about it at some point. But, um, I, I think I'm, I'm so happy we brought that up because that, that ultimately was like the biggest game changer for me and, and really just trying to, and also like the confidence in myself becoming a Catholic. Yeah. Again, if I'm standing there, I don't like, I respect you. I don't, not you personally, but I'm thinking of like, if I'm battling, you know, some sort of thought in my head of like, does that matter? No, I really don't care. Right. And I am now confident in my stance because if I am there, this is how I'm acting. This is how I'm yeah. going to live up in this situation. And I can't control the other stuff. Yeah. So yeah, that, that to me, I, I'm so happy we actually brought that up because that was an absolute game changer for me. Yeah. Well, folks, we're, we're grateful to you for checking in. These are deep thoughts today. Liturgy is a great, uh, really important topic, and there I do think there's a tension in it, and I'm sure it'll come up again. Um, thanks for checking us out. We'll get Emily Carey, if you're listening, let's get you in here to get us some intro music. We will be emailing you soon. Yeah. Uh, and, and again, you guys, uh, thank you for your patience on the audio portion of uh, when Father Brian was in your left ear and I was in your right ear. I think we got that figured out. Please, we are just so grateful for all the emails, feedbacks, comments, good, bad, the ugly. Keep those coming our way. We love to hear it, especially topic ideas. Um, and as we get them, we, we have some in the queue, and it sometimes might take us a little longer to get to it, but we are yeah. definitely reading all those. So thank you for your support. And Merry Christmas. Merry, actually, at this one, we'll be uh, happy uh, New Year's Eve. But it's still Christmas season. That's right. It is. Oh, yeah. We talked about that <laughs> till yep. uh, January 17th. It's the, no. uh, it's till the baptism of the Lord. So I, I don't know what date that falls on. But yeah. There we go. Well, yes. Merry Christmas. Merry Thank Christmas. Thank you. Peace.